Welcome to the Rural Leaders Podcast. I'm Dana Peterson, and I'm joined by my co-host Richard Fordyce to visit with rural leaders across the country with hopes of inspiring and equipping you to act in your local community. I'm coming to you from my hometown, Smith Center, Kansas, and Richard, it looks like you might be somewhere special today. Where are you? I am, Dana. I am at the Missouri State Fair in Sedalia, Missouri. I know in our previous episode, we mentioned, um, you know, the importance to rural leaders and the importance to really rural America uh, and the connection they have to state fairs. So I'm here um, in Sedalia. The building immediately behind me is the historic Coliseum. This is where there's been uh, generations of livestock shows. The building was built in 1902 and has had four U.S. presidents have spoke from, have, have given speeches from that, that building. Uh, so it is the, it's kind of the historic centerpiece of the Missouri State Fairgrounds here in Sedalia. So I thought it would be kind of neat if I could, so I'm sitting on a sidewalk. I hope nobody uses the sidewalk here for the next 30 minutes, but um, uh, so we're going to, we're going to get to see the Coliseum in the background. Oh, that's a great background. And it's a great reminder of, of how important um, all of those fairs, whether it's a, a state fair, a county fair, a local fair, are to the, the fabric of rural America. I know this summer when when we had our county fair, um, you know, I was excited to see the vegetables and the livestock and the photography projects, just like they, you know, were there when I was going through 4-H and FFA and and even took in some of the flowers. Um, my grandmother here in Smith Center had a humongous garden. And so she would always take some open class flowers to the fair. And it was just a great reminder of a lot of treasured memories. Well, you know, as you said, this is the Rural Leaders Podcast, and I know if we were to poll a lot of rural leaders, they probably got their first start or they were first exposed to leadership at a county fair or at a state fair. And so, you know, we have here in Missouri, um, by the time all of the livestock shows are over and all of the other exhibits that, that, that young people bring to the state fair, we will have over 9,000 youth exhibitors that will have made their way through the state fair here in Sedalia. So this is, I mean, this place is very near and dear to me. Um, you know, I won't say how old I am, but I've been to a lot of these state fairs and, um, and it's really neat to, and it's also really neat to watch. We talk about young leaders quite a bit too, and it's really neat to watch them, you know, even just in a four year high school career to see them as a freshman and then just to see how they mature and how they step up and they take new roles, um, you know, even just going a, a year at a time in high school. And then, guys, you see them and, you know, they've graduated college and they're doing something really cool, you know, somewhere in rural America. And so it's uh, it's a lot. It's this is like a big reunion, too. Right. We get to see people we haven't seen, yeah. you know, since the last state fair. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know kind of that progression of leadership is one of the things that we're going to be talking about with our guest today. Give us a taste of that. We, Yeah, we are. Um, so we've got a guest from Louisiana um, today. Uh, I don't know if I'll introduce him until we get right uh, right to his segment, but uh, he's he is the literally the definition of leadership. He's had a, a number of opportunities throughout his career 
um, at the local, at the state, and even at the national level um, of demonstrating leadership. I think recognizing what good leadership is, uh, and then I think he's going to share with us some things that you can look for and maybe some things, at least from his perspective, uh, that make a good leader. So we'll be right back after you hear these messages with our guest for this week. When I was in foster care, I never knew when I would have to move. So I always had my suitcase ready to go. Then one day I was adopted. My new parents opened their hearts and home to me. My parents cook my favorite breakfast for me every morning. My parents take me on trips I never thought I would go on. They gave me a home and an even better reason to use that suitcase. My parents aren't perfect, but they're perfect for me. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. Welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast. I'm Richard Fordyce, along with my co-host, Dana Peterson. Um, here from Sedalia, the Missouri State Fair, and and it's my uh, really my my honor to introduce the next guest. Um, our next guest is Craig McCain. Craig hails from Alexandria, Louisiana, and he he's been a friend of, to both Dana and I for a number of years. Uh, has had a a brilliant, uh, illustrious career with the with the USDA's Farm Service Agency, and. As I said in the opening segment, we're going to learn a little bit about leadership. We're going to learn a little bit about what does good leadership look like. And we're going to get a little bit of an update about what's going on in Louisiana. So, Craig, welcome to the Rural Leaders Podcast. Well, thank you, Richard and Dana. It's good to see you. Um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, and as I always say, I hope when the podcast is over, you appreciate the fact that I was here. Welcome. Welcome. It's great to have you, Craig. So give us an update. What's going on there in Louisiana? Well, uh, it's been an interesting summer. Um, you know, uh, because we're so far south, uh, we're entering the harvest season for many of our crops. And uh, I tell you, uh, it's been, a I, I would say, a, a difficult summer, but frankly, it's been it's been an odd summer. Uh, I heard stories in the last week of corn that uh, dry land corn that cut 38 bushels and five miles uh, west of that field. Uh, they had uh, dry land corn that cut 180 bushels. And so we're all over the map, uh, frankly, but uh, uh, it, it's just been a, a, a unique year. And certainly with weather, we all understand that's that's part of agriculture. That's part of the risk. But our, our corn harvest is underway. Uh, we've been impeded uh, by rain and uh, high moisture. And, and frankly, the forecast says in the next eight to nine days, uh, there's pretty significant chance of rain every day. So I'm fearful that fearful that this uh, might drag out our harvest uh, and, and frankly cause some crop damage because we've got some group four soybeans that are uh, at the point of harvest now and uh, our rice is 
harvest is underway. So, you know, we uh, Richard's at the state fair, uh, as he alluded in the intro, and I recognize it in many places in the Midwest. That's kind of an introductory, uh, introductory move into the fall and and your harvest season. But uh, we're 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 pretty much underway down here, and uh, we'll stay underway until probably mid to late October if uh, if we don't get a significant window of dry weather. But uh, it, it has been an interesting year. I'm I'm hopeful for farmers because when you look at the cost of production. Uh, it's it's going to take every bushel or every pound uh, to to get to the bottom line. So, Craig, I I know we were we chatted a little bit yesterday, and and we were talking about I don't know, you know what is what's going on in Louisiana from a from a rural community standpoint, or you know I, I know there's definitely some vibrant communities, uh, rural communities in Louisiana haven't traveled with you, um, you know, quite a little bit, uh, over the, over the past four years. And, and there's some communities that are struggling. And so, you know, maybe just give us a little bit of an update on, you know, they're in Louisiana, some of the, I guess, some of the common challenges that, that exist and, you know, maybe just a quick success that, that you can think of, um, you know, they're in rural Louisiana. Okay. So, so first of all, Richard, uh, let me, say to Dana and uh, to your uh, viewing audience, uh, Richard may like crawfish better than anyone I've ever met. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be 60 years old this year. And so I've been, uh, I've been associated with crawfish all of those years. And um, I'll just be honest, everywhere Richard's ever been in Louisiana, he asked for crawfish. And um, and I just felt like in my in my intro a while ago and and in my statement, I, I failed to include that. And when Richard talked about being here in Louisiana, I said, I, I, I need to acknowledge that. So, um, Craig, Craig before, you go on, before you go on, I want you to explain to our listeners how they farm crawfish. I know we're getting way off the way off the schedule here, but this is really interesting. Um, how like you crawfish lovers across the country, how your crawfish are grown. Can you explain that just for a, a 30 seconds? Well, it's, it's, it's pretty simple, Richard. It's uh, frankly, it's uh, uh, as they say in, in Cajun land, come see, come saw. Uh, it's just kind of like a, a spoon and a fork. They go together, rice and crawfish. Uh, crawfish are seeded into rice fields or flooded fields, and uh, they're a forager. So uh, they actually eat decaying forage and the bacteria and, and uh, invertebrates that uh, are in that decaying forage. And so, frankly, uh, we just grow crawfish uh, in, in very similar conditions, very similar practices uh, with our rice. And uh, generally, that those crawfish are harvested from December until, uh, in some cases, June, uh, but typically our rice planting goes in no later than uh, the end of May, first week of June. So it it really just works as a companion crop to uh, to rice, much as in your part of the country, wheat and soybeans go together. 
So just a quick, maybe a quick, um, a quick update on just maybe the state of the state of rural communities in in um, in Louisiana. So, you know, Richard, I I don't know. I thought about as we talked yesterday. I I thought a lot about uh, that. You know, I'm not sure that our issues here in Louisiana are a lot different than uh, issues all over our country. Uh, I heard in your intro you introduced me as hailing from Alexandria, Louisiana, but uh, that's that's where you know me from because that's where I worked uh, for most of my career uh, with uh, USDA. But I actually live a little north of Alexandria in a in a little in a village actually by the name of Dry Prong. Two words, uh, Dry Prong. It was named after a creek that went dry back in the 1800s, and they had to move a sawmill. Now, the reason I bring that up is because uh, when you live in a community with 250 or 300 people, you know, you recognize the challenges that exist in that community, just like they exist in a small uh, farming community in in Missouri or Kansas or Texas uh, or Wyoming, for that matter. So I don't think that that anything I'm going to say is going to be news to folks, but frankly, it's in my view, it's it's infrastructure. Uh, we we are challenged in rural communities in Louisiana with infrastructure, and and that's infrastructure of, of all kinds. Uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is is uh, reliable, affordable broadband internet service. Uh, and I recognize in the administration uh, uh, that we served in with USDA, there was significant investment that Congress put forth and that USDA and other agencies moved forward relative to telecommunications of all kinds. And those investments continue today in the current administration. Mm -hmm. But honestly, uh, the challenge is that that the speed of business and the speed of technology is moving way faster than those uh, infrastructure improvements can be developed and put in place. And so that's a big challenge, both for uh, ag-related businesses in rural communities and or for residents or other businesses. And uh, then, of course, we have the challenges of, of uh, improving and maintaining uh, other infrastructure, uh, roads, schools, uh, maintaining businesses, viable businesses in our community. Uh, so uh, it, it's not a lot different than it might be in a, in a small rural area of your state or in any other state. We all fight, we all live in the same world. Uh, we, we're all dealing with the same end game, if you will. Um, and so, uh, in some in some situations, uh, circumstances are uh, make it such that it's easier to address than in other communities. Uh, frankly, in some communities, uh, you know, it's been a lot of effort made in my career. Uh, and frankly, we just hadn't seen a lot of a lot of growth in other places. We've seen a lot of improvement, and a lot of growth. And then, you know, if you happen to live in a trade center or near a trade center, uh, then we all know they, that we have all the modern conveniences and all the modern technology and cutting edge uh, opportunities that, that they have anywhere else in the world. So uh, Louisiana is not a lot different, Richard and Dana, than, than maybe uh, some of the communities that you're familiar with. And I, I think you from the look, 
the, the agreement I see on your faces, uh, maybe those are things you can identify with and hopefully your, your viewers or listeners can. Definitely, definitely. And then I know here in Kansas, you know, we have some communities who have great internet connection. They're, they're near those regional economic hubs and they're just thriving. Um, and then there's other communities that have lots of different struggles, whether they're, you know, removed from those infrastructure pieces or, or, or not, but kind of, you know, as you've been in leadership positions, whether it's a school board for your local town or within your work at the government, um, what are some of those key things that have brought success to efforts of groups of people who are working to solve problems? Well, you know, Dana, it's interesting that, uh, that Richard uh, is at the state fair today and, and he referenced uh, the, the youth activities at the state fair. Um, I was thinking as he was referencing what he experienced there and, and um, ha as he said, has experienced many times in his life uh, over that long, long period that he's been alive. Uh, you know, we recognize long, that uh, long period. Yeah, long, long. <laughs> so we recognize, honestly, that we recognize what that is, and and so in a word, I'll just say uh, the world money makes the world go round. We all recognize that uh, we talked about infrastructure, and and we all know that generally the key to infrastructure is having the money to do it. Uh, where do yeah. you get it? How do you get it? How do you how do you put out money in rural, these rural communities all over this country that have the same needs. But but money makes the world go round, but the world's about people, Dana. So you ask, uh, what was the commonality? What did I see when I worked on our local village council, when I was on the school board, even in my uh, FSA tenure, when I worked in a county office and met with farmers every day or uh, as a district or state uh, manager, uh, it's people. And uh, Richard mentioned the young people that are there at the fair. I'd be willing to say to you that that uh, the most important thing that they will learn, the most important thing gained through their uh, livestock uh, showmanship, through their projects, uh, ultimately will be the ability to build and maintain a relationship with someone else. Uh, Richard, Richard mentioned... Uh, Richard mentioned uh, re a reunion of sort. Uh, the state fair is a mm -hmm. time when people come together and, and see each other. Well, those are relationships that are built over many years. And, and frankly, if we could look down into all of those individuals that are there, thousands of individuals that are there this week, then, then we would see a multiple of that, of, of business deals, of uh, consulting, educational opportunities of investment opportunities uh that that no one sees uh but that happen because people work together for a common good uh, and so i would say uh just in a word that that people are the most important thing that i saw in my career and and the most important resource and 
And as I said, when we opened, I mean, I don't think that, that anything I'm going to say today is going to be unique or, or going to be eye opening to you or to your to your viewers. But I think there are some challenges that exist in our current culture, our current uh, environment uh, that's that's high paced, uh, very technical, uh, increasingly technical every year, every with data and with technology, uh, I think, frankly, I, uh, with COVID, if you think about what COVID's done to us and, and the world in which we're trying to live, I just think uh, relationships and investment in people uh, in some ways has become more difficult. And I think it's probably the most necessary component of any successful business uh, or organization. I, I know, you know, when we were talking yesterday, Craig, you talked about, um, you know, you can recognize a successful organization. You recognize successful companies or or whatever the case may be. And and it does boil down to people. So so and, and you also made another comment um, when we visited about, you know, you, you, you've got to invest in your company. You've got to invest in your organization, your community, whatnot. Um, but that investment in the people is probably the the most that's the best way to spend your time probably and spend your money because then you have you'll have results that come from that. So can you share maybe some ideas or maybe some even some experiences that you've had, you know, working with with people and investing in them, whatever the definition is of investing in people is? Well, certainly, Richard, we recognize the, the value of uh, a, as an employer in investing in people. Uh, you know, I was able to at USDA, I worked 30, almost 36 years. And, and during that time, uh, I was involved and was fortunate enough to be involved in a lot of pretty high level management discussions and exercises. And uh, in 2015 or 16, I was part of a Actually, I was sort of the chairman of a group of folks who was tasked with looking at our employees at FSA and, and doing an employee viewpoint survey, which basically was pretty comprehensive. And, and, and you know, what what do you like about the agency? What do you not? What do you like about your work environment? Uh, what do you not like? Well, how can we make this a better place to work? And frankly, I was pretty proud of the results that came forward from from FSA and particular. Uh, but but one of the common themes, Richard, was people didn't feel important. They 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 felt like they were part of that cog, that that big wheel, that big organization. They felt like they lost their personal importance. And so I want to I want to address that by saying saying this. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges in rural communities, Richard, going back to our statement about infrastructure that I see in my uh, personal life is, uh, you know, I said it's about people, but but it's also money is important. And I acknowledge that while ago, you know, tax tax base in these rural communities is declining. I mean, as people move away and uh, uh, yeah. there are less businesses, uh, small towns that used to have seven or eight businesses. That, that fed that community economically uh, now either don't exist or, or maybe there's a convenience store or a very small business that remains there. But frankly, 
as those businesses left, that tax base left with it. And so what happened is that tax burden fell upon, uh, in, at least in Louisiana, it fell upon landowners, uh, most of which are either forestry or ag producers. And, uh, and frankly, they're, they're carrying a pretty significant load of the, of the rural community tax base. And, uh, you know, we've got parishes in Louisiana that have populations of the whole parish of three, four, five thousand people. So you can see that, that it's a very sparsely populated area. And yet all the services that need to happen there are the same as, ha- as are needed in much of the rest of the country. So I wanted to point out that those challenges of, of very little tax base and very little monetary investment. Uh, contribute pretty significantly in these rural communities. But as an example of what I've seen, uh, it's amazing. Uh, this this may uh, be a little bit humorous to some of you or your listeners, but it's amazing what I've seen happen in these communities when, when small things like a dollar store is opened in that community. And all of a sudden, that dollar store, while it's certainly not a huge all-encompassing department store like one of some of the big box stores and some of the, uh, you know, what's become a a common name, a Walmart. Uh, The value to that community in terms of money to the tax base, in terms of uh, emotional and mental uh, uh, encouragement and motivation is immeasurable. And uh, yeah. so, you know, I think that I think that sometimes we think about these problems and I think we think, well, we don't have the ability to address them. Uh, we can't change the world or the direction of the world. I, I wanted to make the point. I think the solutions are are sometimes relatively small in terms of one step at a time, one improvement at a time. The old saying, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you eat it one bite at a time. And so. Uh, Frankly, that uh, that that scenario is what I've seen happen where we've seen improvements and we've seen growth. And then your next part of your question, Richard, was how did that happen? Well, it happened when a group of people just like us who love that community, who cared about that community, sat down and identified their challenges and asked themselves what's possible. Mm -hmm. And then they began to work with each other. They began to work with uh, local officials, county officials, state officials, federal government officials. And frankly, uh, sadly, many times it took years of commitment and, and, and work. But at the end of the day, in many cases, something happened. And that's something created a building block for the next uh, move and the next move. And, and honestly, I'd like to say that that process that I'm describing, I mean, it's not a new process. It's not something that's unique to Louisiana or to my experiences. I, I can tell from your faces that you can identify with it. But but frankly, that's what I've seen. And what what does that come back to, Richard? It comes back to relationships. It comes back to people who got together, pooled their resources, committed themselves to each other and to a cause and then just went to work and, and move that forward. So, you know, that's, that's sort of what I think America was built on. I think it's what's made us the, the richest and 
and strongest, in my view, nation in the history of the world. And honestly, I think it's going to be challenging to maintain going forward um, unless we recognize the value of it. So that's kind of I, I kind of a country boy's view. Well, your your views are always awfully good. Um, and we're unfortunately we're going to run out of time here. I know I knew this was going to go fast and it and it did go. It did go extremely fast before we. Before we go to break, can you share with folks uh, if they want to get in touch with you, visit with you, um, how they can get in, how they can get a hold of you? Well, certainly, uh, you know, I, because of some personal circumstances, Richard, I'm they're not going to find me on social media at this point. So I'm pretty simple to get in touch with. I, I have an email address. It's uh, cmccain712 uh, at AOL. That, dot com it'll show you how long i've had it uh and uh, my <laughs> phone number is uh is 318-446-5396 uh, uh, and i'd be All happy right. to, to help anybody that i can fantastic i you know we we probably we probably talked a little too much on the front end about crawfish and we didn't get to the good stuff at the back end but <laughs> um but but man it was good to have you on um it's good to see you again and good to hear your voice my friend that's uh that's a comforting voice yes. that you have and and it was and it was yes, good to it hear is. It. well thank you i uh, i hope there's some value in it i think it's it's helpful to remind ourselves of of those basic principles and i appreciate the opportunity that i had today uh, uh fantastic well um that's going to wrap up this segment. Um, we're going to go to a message and then Dana and I'll be back to, uh, to wrap up the podcast episode for this week. Hey, Bobo, do trees tell each other stories? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, why don't we go find out? Listen. Do clouds take naps? I couldn't tell you. Dad, do stars visit their friends? Thank you. Welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast. And uh, again, I'm here in Sedalia, Missouri, uh, Dana, um, back home in Smith Center, Kansas. And we just uh, we just heard from Craig McCain. I don't know that we said it or not, but he was the state executive director in Louisiana uh, for the Farm Service Agency. And Louisiana is a little different. So that, that position is political. It's appointed by the president, uh, whoever the president is in, in, in place. But Louisiana does it a little bit different. And their SEDs carry out over um, multiple administrations uh, because they have the support and the backing of, of Louisiana agriculture. So a very unique uh, a very unique situation there in Louisiana. Um, certainly, Craig has had a lot of experience 
um, doing a lot of different things with different administrations and and things. And so his perspective to me is really is really pretty really pretty spot on, Dana. I don't know I don't know what you thought about uh, this episode with Craig, but uh, but that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's great context for everyone to know. I I really appreciated and have appreciated uh, Craig's just focus on relationships and how important those are to being successful. You know, I think about so many of the relationships that I'm reconnecting with now back in my hometown, Um, you know, people I went to school with or were in 4-H clubs with, you know, and and um, tomorrow I go to a conference here in Kansas. It's a statewide conference, and I'm looking forward to reconnecting with a lot of people that I was in professional relationships with. And so kind of that importance in leadership of having relationship and um, a focus on that for our work, I think is something for us to really um, treasure. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you, you know, I, I've i never met a stranger and I stop and talk to folks. I even <laughs> I had a conversation with some people in the Coliseum yesterday who had walked in on the skier show and they were from St. Louis, like city St. Louis. And they had no idea what they were looking at. And I explained to them why what that was a skier show, why they were doing it. Um, and it's that, that relationships um, are, are so critical. And Craig did a great job talking about how, you know, it's not you start to build those relationships and it, you may not see you may not see results on day one or year one, but you continue to cultivate and and your um, your reach gets a little farther. You know, when I was director of the Missouri Department of Ag, my governor said, you know, what you're going to like about this job the most, I think, is that your your optics are going to change. Your targets are going to get bigger. And so when when you have this when you have these opportunities to have these relationships and that and that group gets larger, you get more you can get more ideas and more input and and different perspectives that really can help help a situation. And, and, and it d- that doesn't really matter what the situation is. And I was just thinking while you were talking just a second ago, Dana, um, that's kind of what we're doing on the Rural Leaders podcast. We're trying to yeah. start these relationships um, with folks that have a lot of different interests, um, but then have a lot of the same interests as well. That's right. That's right. And and start kind of helping people, equipping people, really, with the tools of the trade of leadership, whether that's leading at the local level, at the regional level, at the state level or at the national level, or even some of the leadership positions that reach around the world. And so, you know, it's our hope that this episode has been helpful to our our listeners. We want to hear from you. We're building this community, this virtual community around the podcast, and and that that requires two-way communication. So just hope that folks can reach out to us. Uh, We have email addresses, data at the rural leaders podcast.com 
or Richard at the Rural Leaders Podcast.com. Of course, uh, hoping to get some comments and likes on on YouTube and the other platforms that the podcast is, is available on. Um, but yeah, join us again for the next episode here in a couple of weeks. And until then, we look forward to um, finding out more stories about how great things are happening in rural America. Thank you.